Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people, come and die. <coughs> Manna he doth feed, supplies our every need. Oh, just sweet to sup with Jesus all the time. Oh, come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. Well, you may feast at Jesus' table all the time, yes, all the time. Amen. To the hungry call it now, come and dine. The disciples came to land, thus obeying Christ's command. For the master called to them, come and dine. There they found their heart's desire, bread and fish upon the fire. Spies the hungry all the time. Come and dine. Amen. All the time he who fed that multitude turned the waters into wine. I like this verse. Soon the Lamb will take his bride to be ever at his side. All my heaven will assemble me. Oh, it will be a glorious sight. All the saints in spotless white. We shall feast eternally. Yes, come and dine. The master calleth, come and dine. God bless you, saints. Let's have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to get into it because I'm not going to read an opening scripture. I kind of want to start in a different direction. Heavenly Father, uh, as we always ask, bring glory to yourself. Edify your saints. Take my lips, actions, attitudes, the people's ears and hearts and souls, and bring glory. Edify your people so wonderfully tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may go ahead and be seated. Thank you. From time to eternity, by the way, on the, the 12th Imam, uh, Joel Rosenberg has just written a complete book about the 12th Imam. And uh, you can look up, he, and he's got a lot of research on the 12th Imam too. So in addition to looking at the 12th Imam, you can go on to Joel Rosenberg's website. And it's interesting, he brings out that most of the Islamic, we'll call them theologians, say that Jesus will return as the forerunner to the 12th Imam. And then he will point all Christians to Muhammad, and, and of course himself as the 12th Imam, and then those who refuse will die. And uh, so they've really got a slant on things. So they may be rejoicing on the coming of the Lord, but they may be a little surprised. <laughs> From time to eternity, that's what we're talking about uh, this time. Now we're in our, in our studies. This, this is our tomorrow night's, Thursday night's Bible study here. And next Wednesday is going to be the same thing. We're going to have the Thursday night Bible study here on Wednesday night. And so it's a little different because we can, that's why 
the papers were passed out because that's what we do on the Thursday night thing. And uh, so in our, in our study, we have come up through Revelations 19, where all, all were rejoicing. I brought that to you a few weeks ago. All were rejoicing over the destruction of the Roman system and the, the blood of all the saints. And we talked about how the blood of the saints had been in her and what she had been doing even this side of World War II when we brought out the Vatican Holocaust and what went on over in Croatia and Serbia and six, 600,000 uh, Serbs were killed uh, under the leadership of the Vatican and so on. And so we've, we've gone that. Now, now we're up to the place where we're, we touched on the millennium. The millennium is very scarce. There's not very much uh, in scripture about it, but the millennium is still in time. And if you recall, when Brother Branham preached the seven seals, he says the seventh seal is the end of time of all things. So everything God is doing in the plan of dealing with sin and in, and in the redemption of his people, it all it finishes up under the seventh seal. So therefore, the seventh seal goes all the way to the end of the millennium because earth and we are still in time uh, up, to that, up to that place. So, so when we're de- talking about time and then when we go... The next step then, when we go to the next step, the New Jerusalem, that's the New Jerusalem comes down, settles down on earth, uh, introducing us into eternity. But there's some more preparation that has to go on with the earth uh, and the parallels between God preparing earth are the exact same parallels as the way he prepares you. And so the way God gets earth ready for him to dwell on it, we'll go into that a little bit more later, is the same way he gets you ready for him to dwell in you. And so he has, being a holy God, he has to get everything cleaned up before his holiness uh, can, can touch it. And so we're uh, going to work our way through. I don't know how far we'll get tonight. And then uh, next session, next week, we'll continue, continue on Wednesday, Wednesday uh, next week. So we'll go on from there. So the sequence right before us, if we'll just kind of go slow here now and get your Bibles ready because we're going to dig out a few verses. So the resurrection, the resurrection of the elect lady of all ages followed shortly by the rapture. That's what's right in front of us. So when Jeff talks about for us all comprehend where we are, Brother Branham was asked, what's next in line? He says, resurrection. There's no other Bible prophecy for us Gentiles in front of that. So the resurrection is the next thing. And then the scriptures there, John 5.25 talks about all that shall hear his voice shall come out of the graves. And then there's a second one where all come, but the first one is only those that hear his voice. And then 1 Corinthians 15.51 that will be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. And then in 1 Thessalonians 4.14, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout of voice of trump, and there'll be a resurrection and a meeting in the air, rapture. And so there, there's a next thing that's right in, right in front of us. And then the next one, then the Gentiles, at that point when the bride raptures, she represents the blood on earth, and God cannot pass judgment through blood. So consequently, when she goes, then the Gentiles go into their great tribulation, and not, not, not Israel per se, just the Gentiles go, go into their 
to their uh, great tribulation. And you can read about that in Daniel 7.25 and both, and in Revelations 13.5, where it talks about the fact that, that the Antichrist is going to be given power over the saints for three and a half years. And then this... Uh, yeah, Israel receives a three-and-a-half-year prophetic ministry. Revelations chapter 11, that's the two. The, in Revelation chapter 11, they're called two witnesses. And, of course, we identified them by seeing the kind of works they did. And they did exactly what Moses did and exactly what Elijah did. So it's two prophets with the spirit of Moses uh, and Elijah. And this, this three-and-a-half-year period here that God is dealing with the Jews through the two witnesses is the last half of the 70th week of Daniel that you can read about in Daniel 9.24 where God had allocated 70 weeks, prophetic weeks, to Israel. And then, and then that would be the time that he would then be finished dealing with them. And then in this, same, in this, in this sequence of events here, in this three-and-a-half-year time, out of the book of Ezekiel 38 and 39, there is a battle of Gog and Magog where Russia and all the Islamic nations come in against Israel. And that, uh, that takes place right in there uh, some, somewhere. We're not, it doesn't, the Bible is not clear on it, but it seems to be somewhere in the, in the Great Tribulation. And then, of course, the Roman system is God's tool of judgment during the Great Tribulation, and she uses the armies and the ten kings that we read about in Revelation chapter 19. And then when God's finished using her as a tool, then he judges her the same way he did King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon when he finished using them as a tool. And so that's there. Then the next thing in line then is that uh, during this same three-and-a-half-year period, Christ and his bride are on a three-and-a-half-year honeymoon, or what we would in there somewhere is the wedding supper. And then at the end of that three-and-a-half-year period, Christ and the bride come back in Revelations 19.11 to riding on white horses, Brother Branham says, vindicated word. Because white represents purity and the, and the word. So it's so there, we're, we're kind of wrapping things up real fast here now because I'm wanting, we're, this isn't the subject, this is just pulling pieces together. And then the tribulation closes out with this battle of Armageddon that is the power is given to uh, Christ and the bride and he comes back with the sword in his mouth which is the word of God to slay, slay all the nations and those that had come against and so because we were talking about Israel, I want us to see what happens in the closing days of Israel. So let's go to Zechariah chapter 12. That's the next to the last book in the Old Testament, Zechariah, Malachi. And, and look at that and see what is going on. When you, when you remember that the Jews said, let his blood be on us and on our children, you begin to see here what the wrath of God is on this nation just before he finishes up redemption. And it's, it's, it's powerful. We won't read all the verses, but we're going to read several. So, Zechariah 12, verse 2. And we can see we're already entering into this time period. We're entering into it, we can already tell. Behold, I will make... Jerusalem, a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. So this, this uh, cup of trembling, of course, is, is there. the whole world focuses on that little dot on the map. 
And, and it's because it's God's chosen place, and we're living in Satan's Eden. So all the forces of, the, of, of, of Satan is pushing against that nation the same way that he pushes against the bride. So we already see that the eyes are on here. So, but then it's going to, it hasn't fully come into siege yet. Verse 3, And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people, and all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. We know that uh, America will turn against Israel because the Bible says so. And so in Canada right now is one of the greatest supporters of Israel, and we haven't seen her turning yet, but of course eventually, apparently she will too, based on Scripture. Skip over to verse 8. And in that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, and the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. So we see where America is placing herself now with her current attitude towards Israel. Verse 10, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So we see this, this happening now as Israel recognizes they had uh, crucified, crucified the Christ. And of course, this is right at the closing out of the Gentile tribulation when the two witnesses have delivered their message and Israel is now turning, turning to the Lord. Verse 13, excuse me, chapter 13, verse 1. And in that day shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. Of course, the fountain is the reception of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ. Turn over to uh, verse 6 now, still in chapter 13, verse 6. And one shall say unto him, What are those wounds in thine hands? And he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. So now they're coming right up to the acceptance of Christ. Verse 8. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried, and they shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. Chapter 14, verse 2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of, of battle. Can you imagine what a strength that verse will be when the people recognize it's happening? They can only come halfway. God said so. But those who don't have the word in their heart, they're going to be saying, we're finished. We're finished. They've already taken the city. They're, they're going to take us. You know, the word says, no, only halfway, and then I'm going to stop you. Verse 4, 
And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and on the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a gr very great valley, and half of the mountain shall be, shall remove toward the north, half towards the south, verse 6, and it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time there shall be light. So we see God fulfills the scriptures to the Gentiles, fulfills the scriptures to the Jews exactly the same way. When it looks like it's total darkness, he brings the light. So it looks like it's finished. Verse uh, 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day shall there... In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Verse 11. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. Their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Verse 14, and Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel in great abundance. And then it goes on about the people must be, are going to be commanded to come to the Feast of Tabernacles. So we can see what's ahead for Israel. We're winding up. They're just entering in to their, to their beginning of these, these final, final days. Uh, let's see, where am I? Tribulation closed out, Battle of Armageddon, yes. And so right at, right at the close of the Battle of Armageddon, we would find in Scripture that the, the beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire, and then Satan is bound for 1,000 years, and then the Scripture says that he'll be loosed for a season. The binding, of course, takes place because there's no one on earth he can work through. Spirit is virtually helpless without someone to work through. And then if, when he's going to be loosed for a little season is at the end of the thousand years when the general resurrection takes place and all those people who had all, always been yielded to him anyway now resurrect and now he's got people to work through. And so he's loosed for a little season. It doesn't say how long. And then Christ and his bride, of course, rule on earth during the, uh, during the millennium. And uh, I'd like... I've, I've mentioned this to you, but I don't think we've ever read it. Book of Psalms, chapter 2. This, this has a, a whole, thousands of years in just a few verses. So take a look at Psalms, chapter 2. Verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands as asunder and cast away their cords from us. If you were to read over in Acts chapter 4, verses 24 to 28, you'll find that, that Peter quoted these things as exactly what was happening when they were crucifying the Christ. So therefore, we see the beginning of our prophecy right here. We're already at the crucifixion of Christ in the, in the book of, time of the book of Acts. Remember, they were saying, we will not have this man to rule over us. 
And then verse 4, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. They say, this man's not going to rule over us. Oh, yes, he's going to be your king one day. So God is laughing at their, their folly that we will not have this man rule over us. Verse 5, then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex vex them in his sore displeasure. Now we're into the tribulation already. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill in Mount Zion. Now we're moving into the millennium. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. And so give you the heathen for your inheritance. Brother Branham says God will raise the heathen that never heard the gospel to give the bride someone to rule over. This is the only scripture I've been able to find that indicates that. Verse 9, thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. So remember, we were promised to the overcomer, you'll rule with Christ with a rod of iron. And thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. So there's our whole principle that's just tied up there in, in just a few verses. We've kind of covered everything from the book of Acts to the end of the millennium. Now remember, the millennium is still yet in time. So now while we're yet in time, what will we be doing in the millennium? Isaiah 65, 21 says, they shall build and inhabit them. That is your farm or your son's not going to inherit. You're not going to die and pass it on to somebody else. So you, you'll build a house and inhabit it, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit, the fruit of them, and they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. They, you do your own planting and you remain there. You've got eternal life. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Brother Branham put it in a simple term. He says, in the millennium you build. He says, after the millennium you go to a place prepared. So in the millennium you build, you inhabit, and you enjoy the work of your own hands. And then the elect lady, at the end of the millennium, then they go to a place prepared, which is the, the, new, the new Jerusalem. <clears throat> Excuse me, I wanted to stay up with my own notes here. Verse 23, And they shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. Praise God. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Brother Branham added, he says, Why is that? Because he says it'll be God in them thinking. Oh, I like that. Yes. Revelations 21.1. Now, th this is now where we're moving toward the New Jerusalem. And uh, if you're one to want to mark in your Bible, I'm, I'm going to turn mine over there. 21.1. Brother Branham started reading these verses when he preached on the future home of the heavenly bridegroom and the earthly bride. 
And so this is what we're moving, moving into now is toward the New Jerusalem. And so the first, the first verse says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now this is moving now in toward the, uh, the eternity now. We've already passed the millennium. And so um, what I'm going to do now is I want to take some other verses that expand on this same subject of new heaven and new earth so that we can gather a little more information. So uh, reading again in Revelations, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Second Peter 3.13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So we've got a little information there that we've got a promise of a new heaven, new earth, and in there will be Righteousness, Isaiah 65, 17, For behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. So the, the former heavens, old earth, are just going to be obliterated as we move into eternity. Everything bad and evil that's been in our mind, in our thinking, done, did, around us, whatever, gone. That it's, we've finished our training, finished our schooling, and all the bad things that we had to go through to build the character, gone. You don't even think on it anymore. I like that, too. And then Isaiah 66, 22, For as the new heavens and new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me. So now we can see we're going into eternity. They're going to remain before him. Saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. Now, I want to read someplace that I'm afraid of. If I don't get it now, I'm going to uh, miss it. Uh, I may have another place. I may mess myself up here, but let me, well, let me, I'll just go one more, and then we'll go that other place. So earth cannot be annihilated. It says new heaven, new earth. So it's, it's, it isn't a replacement, and we'll get into that in a minute. Psalms. 37.11 says, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And then Jesus in the New Testament says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So consequently, then, God can't destroy the earth. He's promised it to the meek. And so they're going to inherit it. So when we read about new heaven, new earth, we find many books that somehow think this is all going to be replaced and done away with. But that's, that's not according to, uh, according to Scripture. Now, when many, many people in, in Christian circles, when they talk about, uh, when they talk about heaven, they've got some ethereal place off in the atmosphere somewhere. And that's, that's not the case at all. Adam and Eve lost the earth, and the earth is going to come back to us. So heaven is going to be right here, right here on earth, because we were, we're on our way back, back to Eden. Now, let me, let, let's read something. I want to uh, read something for Second Peter. Would you mind going there with me in your Bibles, please? Second Peter 3. Starting at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, 
and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heaven shall, heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to the promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So notice now in verse 12, he's talking about the day of God. And in verse three, 10, he's talking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the judgment, the wrath that we're beginning to ease into already, but comes into full measure in the tribulation. And so, they, so the day of the Lord is this side of the millennium. The day of God is entering into eternity on the other side. The verses are all run right together, and if you're not careful, you'll throw it all into one package, but it's not so. And the reason, the reason it works this way is because the plan of redemption for earth is the same as the plan of redemption for you. And we'll get into it in more detail in a moment, but while I'm on the subject, let me just drop it in right here. When, when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ and accept him as your Savior, you're, you're, you stand justified before God. But in a justified only state, nothing has changed except your position before God. But then God starts a sanctifying work in your life, and then that's when, when he starts creating a, I don't want to do those things anymore. And so God begins to take the want to of things contrary to the word out of you, and that's sanctification. And the word sanctification means cleansed and set aside for service. And so it's a twofold thing. You remember Brother Branham gave us the example of the man walking in the chicken yard and he found a, a glass laying down in all the chicken manure. And he says he picked up the glass. He said, it's now the glass is justified because it wasn't his fault that he was in the manure pile. It wasn't your fault that Adam and Eve fell. So God picked you up, gave you faith. And then he says he takes it in the house and he, and he puts it under the hot water, he boils it, he scalds it, he scrubs it, and he gets it all clean, clean, clean. He said that's his first, now he's sanctified it, but it's not in service yet, but he said he sanctified it, so he said he sets it aside up, on the, up in the counter in the kitchen somewhere, maybe a kitchen cabinet somewhere, and he said it's set aside for service, it's ready for service, but it hasn't been put in service yet. That's stage two of sanctification. So this, this day of the Lord burning of earth is getting it ready. That's that first stage. It's, it's now it's beginning to, beginning to go into the direction of sanctification, but it's never been set aside for service. And that that's the millennium when earth is set aside for service. And then at the end of the millennium, when it is totally burned at that day of God burning, and that's a much heavier purging, then at that time, that's when God can come and dwell on it because it's totally purged. And so that's why John the Baptist spoke of you and I. And he says, he that comes whose shoes I'm not worthy unto the latch, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. So there has to be a fire burning to clean us up to make us a fit place for God to dwell in. So there has to be a fire burning on earth. And so the first burning burns up all the works and all the, a lot of the miscellaneous junk, but it isn't a total purging. 
and then we will live on that earth through, through what its time of being set aside for service, and then at the end of the millennium, it will be placed in service when it goes into, its sec, uh, into eternity. We'll, we'll be repeating some of that to make sure you get it now. Okay, I saw heaven and earth and new earth. Okay, so we're, just, we're still expanding on that Revelations 21.1. So the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Then 1 Peter 3.10, the day of God shall come. And here we're going to go into it now a little bit more. And the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. We read this. And in the which the heavens shall pass away. And Brother Branham elaborated on the parochomai, uh Greek word that is used there which is not pass away like uh, obliterate, but rather it, there's, a, there's a change taking place. And it merely means to loose. And then in, uh, in, Matthew, in Matthew 16, in 16:19, Jesus is giving a word to the disciples and says, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's that same word, parakomai. And then when he says, go find the ass with a colt tied to it and loose, loose the colt and bring him to me. I'm going to ride him into Jerusalem. The loose, that's a parerkomai. So therefore, the earth, the earth has to be loosed away from the bondage and corruption that it's under now while it's under the dominion of the prince of the power of the air. It's going to be loosed, loosed from that. And there's just on and on and on more scriptures along that uh, same line of that loosing and turning loose. So, so it's going to be loosed with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth, oops, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So notice the emphasis is now works, not earth. And so seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, is that now, now we're talking about luo. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation, their manner of life and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the uh, elements shall melt with fervent heat. Sorry, I used the wrong word there. Luo is the one where it's loosed. And, and uh, when we are loosed from our sins in Revelation 1, that's luo. And perer komai is a, is a, come remember the definition of that. I've forgotten it. Uh, Brother Branham elaborated on it. Uh, but his, his explanation was it passes from one form to another. Anyway, that's the way he elaborated on it. So that's, that's, that's not the loose. The loose is uh, luo. <clears throat> Burning up. Okay, now we're still on Revelation 21.1. More explanation. 2 Peter 3.5. For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, excuse me, by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Now that's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness upon the face of the deep. The water was, God had now, was just beginning to redeem earth out from under the water. Whereby the world, cosmos, world order, that then was being overflowed with water, perished, and that's Genesis 6, Noah's. So that first earth that was standing in the water, God beginning to bring it out of the water, man took it into sin, and then, and then in Genesis 6, it came and perished, and so that, that was earth's water baptism. But the heavens and earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto the fire 
against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Interesting quote now brother, from Brother Branham out of Satan's Eden. He says, There was no more sea, for the first heaven and first earth were passed away. What was our first heaven? It was the millennium. And then, what was the first earth? He said, it's this earth. So it's, it's the millennium that passes away first heaven and going into the next realm. And then was the first earth? It's this one. And that's the one that'll be changed. It'll be renovated just like it was baptized by Noah in the days, this is Brother Branham's quote, in the days of his preaching and was sanctified by Christ as he sprinkled his blood upon it. So now we got water and blood. You remember the three ingredients of the natural birth, spiritual birth, water, blood, and spirit. And sprinkled his blood upon it and be renovated to take all the germs and everything off of it in the renovation at the end with a fire baptism that'll kill every germ, every sickness, every disease, every filth that was ever on the earth. So we're still talking about Revelations 2, 1, and then now verse 2, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. We're going to come back to that in a minute. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, or the for, the, for the former things are passed away. Now verse 3 again. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Now if you don't understand the principle of God, you can say, Well, hasn't he always been with us? How come they're bragging about he's going to be with us? Hasn't he always been us? Isn't that who lives in me? You, we have to separate out here the offices of God and get, get this kind of square in, in our mind. Excuse me just a minute. I want to be sure I get the quotes on that. Yeah. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. You remember that God has condescended down for the redemption of man and that God condescended in Christ. First Corinthians fifteen, twenty-two. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have stay with this now. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet, but when he hath when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that it is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, 
that God may be all in all. So therefore God came down in the, in the form of Christ the Logos, and so that's not, that, that, and that Christ the Logos takes on various forms to do the plan of redemption. And so then God came down in Christ to do this until everything, including death, has been subdued. Then once all that's finished, then Christ presents back to God, the creator of it all, the whole thing. I've redeemed it all. I've paid the price. I've redeemed the bride. I've done all this. I've done all that. Father, I give it back to you. Remember, Brother Branham talks about kneeling before Jesus and throwing his crown at his feet. Well, the crown that Jesus throws at God's feet is, is the whole kingdom. It's yours. And then, it, then God, who has been in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, Corinthians 5, now can separate back out again because we're going back into an Eden again. And so now Christ will be on the throne as the son of, uh, son of David. Christ will be the ruler on earth, the bride, his queen. But it, then, then the pillar of fire no longer has to dwell in him. Redemption is finished. And the pillar of fire will be over the throne, over Christ, and God separated back out again the same way that he was in Eden. Are you following me? So that's why it's so, so such a glorious thing that God himself can fellowship with his people because now we're back to the way it was in Eden. God himself came down and fellowshiped with Adam and Eve. <clears throat> So we are observing the final stage of redemption here. We're just about winding up. So the three-stage plan of redemption repeats. The first is your soul's redemption. Upon repentance, you're immersed in water. Then the blood of the covenant sanctifies you. And then you grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you're sealed under the day of your spirit. So the bold print, water, blood, spirit. And so we have the same thing. Water, blood, spirit comprises the new birth. And then after redemption of the soul, what about the body? And then redemption is promised to Israel. And then we've read this many times. I'll take you out from among the heathen, gather you from all countries. I'll give you a new heart, new spirit, then my spirit, and you'll keep my word. So I won't bother to go into that. But the three steps again out of Ezekiel there. So redemption of the earth. Earth received its water baptism in the time of Noah. It was claimed and started in its sanctification when the blood of Christ was shed upon it. Sanctification is two-part. Jesus' body was of the earth. The way Brother Branham said it says God claimed that part of the earth and then through that part of the earth claimed the whole earth and our bodies are dust or earth. So in redeeming that, our body was redeemed. The potentially there, your body is of the earth. So the day of the Lord, fire we read in 2 Peter 3 and then set aside for service into the millennium, full burning day of God. I'm rushing because we've already said all these things. Then after the fire, God came to dwell in you. After the fire on earth, God came to dwell on earth. Now, how can I know I will be there? This is our last sin, so hang on with me. I'm losing you. Don't, don't drift from me yet. So, so how can I know I will be there? The answer, once heard, is, is simple. I'm going to use several places, quoting from Brother Branham, to build toward the whole thing. He says, now to refuse that person that's doing the calling, Christ, no matter if you're Pentecostal, Methodist, Luther, Whatever you are, you've got to this, this age. Nothing against them, not at all, but in this age now, you've got to accept, like they did in that age, the person of Christ, which is the Word. 
In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh, dwelt among us, same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8. So you see, you must accept the person of eternal life. Now, there, he said it there, but it's not clear. So we'll, let's say it again. So how do we do this? Modern events made clear by prophecy, 1965. We're living, we're not living in a Pentecostal age. We're living in another age, see? We're not living in a method age. We're living up here in another age. We're living on up here to the bride age. The calling out of the church and getting it together for the rapture, that's the age that we're living in now. To my honest opinion, that's exactly the truth. And this book is a book of prophecy. Now keep reading, it's clearer. Millennial qualification. There is no such thing as spiritual death now to a baptized saint of God. Though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth on me shall never die. All scripture must be fulfilled. You can't die. Keep reading. I'll stay with this. You can't die. You got eternal life. Only thing that the Redeemer has made you recognize, and you were always. And that's the reason you see the day you're living in. How many sees it? Raise your hand. See? Thank you. See, the day that you're living in, you recognize it. See, you got eternal life. You always were. And that's the reason you see the day you think. It's eternal joining to the eternal. That's what, it's that that's predestinated eternal something in you that can recognize the eternal when it's manifested in your age, not just the historical God. And if you are the bride, the bride is part of the husband, the only part that you'll ever recognize is recognize what part of that husband, that word, you are or you can't recognize being the bride. How many sees that? Congregation says, amen. See, see, you have to recognize your position. So here's the pyramid that we use so often, and then Paul wrote most of the New Testament, then Irenaeus, Martin, and then Columba, and then Luther, and then Wesley, and then the Pentecostal age. Now, this, all of those were manifestations of Christ. So there was a people in each age who were attracted to Christ in that manifestation because these men were anointed by the seven spirits of God, which is seven measures of Christ. Justification, quoting Brother Branham out of Masterpiece, justification made a way for sanctification, sanctification made a way for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Holy Ghost made a, for the Holy Ghost itself, the baptism made a way for the Holy Ghost itself to come right down in perfection back to the Word again to manifest itself. So the Holy Ghost itself is the person of Christ, as Brother Branham said, released by the opening of the seven seals. So the seventh angel comes to interpret the word, and that same, the, the little red just popped up on the bottom right-hand side of the screen. So the pillar of fire met Jesus. Paul met Jesus as the pillar of fire, and the seventh angel came to interpret the road, and he met the same pillar of fire. Just about finished. Stay with me. There was one bride, not a deno dozen denominations, but one bride, that's the elected out of the earth, that's been predestinated to this, the ones who can recognize their place in the kingdom. I can only teach my types now. Who came out on the new earth with Noah the prophet? 
bold print, those who went in with Noah by his message was the ones who walked out upon the new earth after the water baptism. This one who goes in with Jesus now, how do you get in him? By one spirit. He is the word. You become part of him. What part are you? The word that's living in this hour, recognizing you'll walk out with him in the millennium. He was the spoken word. We who are redeemed is part of him. Then if you can recognize, see, the Pharisees claimed they were, but you see, my first illustration, that was only by intellectual. They couldn't recognize the word when it was made manifest right before them. They said, this man is an evil spirit. Help us, God, if there is one here who isn't just exactly sure of that, Lord, may they receive it just now. Let's make sure. Is there a way, Brother Branham? Yes, become a part of the word, a part of the word for today. You can't be a part of the word for Moses' day, a part of the, that's made up. That was the feet. We're at the head now. This is Christ, not the arms back in Luther's time. No, this is head time. Christ, the headstone, comes to the body. And the rest of the dead lived not until the thousand years were finished. Then at the end of the thousand years, there was a judgment showing Ham was in the ark and Ham is still there in the remnant. Ones that heard it and rejected it will have to be judged. Now grant, Lord, that we'll not be considered among them, but we'll be in the call to the wedding supper, for we do recognize Jesus among us today. We're going in with him, out of the world, into him. Let us walk forth into that city and come out into him. I'll stop here. Here's what organized religion fails to recognize. First, regarding the Bible, every word that's written in there will, must come to pass. They will agree with us thus far. Everything that's been promised has to come to pass because it is Jesus Christ in each age. And most of the churches only know Jesus of Nazareth. So they miss it. So Jesus Christ was in Noah. It was Jesus in Moses. It was Jesus in Christ in David. It was Jesus Christ in Joseph. It was Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the living word, the I am. He merely changes his form and the measure, but he's the same. Can you, I got two more slides. Can you hang on with me just a minute? Okay. So what is the form of the bride today? Colossians 1.25, whereof I am made a minister, Paul says, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches, uh, riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. This mystery, this mystery which is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And after being purged by the Holy Ghost fire, just as the earth was purged, then you become a dwelling place for Christ. Now, the next session, here's what we're going to go on. We're going to talk about the 1,500-mile-square city, and, it, and, then we, and uh, it's going to come and sit on a mountain that will be there at that time, but is not there yet. And then God will make all things new. It says in 21.5, you'll have a new heaven, a new earth, 
And then this new people will inherit, will, are heirs of all things. There will be a new Jerusalem, a new temple, a new light, and the new paradise. And we're going to try and catch that then Wednesday next week and elaborate on that. It's uh, really, uh, I, I ran across some stuff that I hadn't known before, and I'm anxious to share it with you, so we'll get into that next time. Let's have a word of prayer. Jeff, you can come up, musicians. Lord Jesus, love you so much. So glad to be alive in this day. Kind of a uh, slow-moving service. Don't get the people shouting very much, but I hope we can put the words together and see Christ in action in every age and recognize where you are working today in our hearts with your messenger and with your message, which, which we very much claim to be a part of. In Jesus' name, amen. Good word. Very clear and very simple. Um, Brother Bram said where most people get confused is he says they always miss that foolish virgin group. And so the bride, simply, merely, being the elect of God, having that germ on the inside, recognizes the word when it crosses its path. So the woman at the well could say, you're a prophet. And she could hone in a little deeper because of that seed on the end. She can say, we believe that when Messiah cometh, he'll do these things. And then Jesus could not hide herself, hide himself from her. He would say, I am he that speaketh unto thee. It was not complicated because she was elect. To the, to the uh, Sadducees and Pharisees, he continued to complicate. Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And he wouldn't explain. But to this, this prostitute who had that seed of predestination... When she saw the messianic sign and he discerned the thoughts and tents of her heart, she just readily received it. And so um, you, have, you have those three categories throughout time. And that is the bride that recognizes the word for their day, the foolish virgin who does not recognize it, does not, as a result, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But they're still saved. Now I use the word saved in that they receive white robes at the end uh, of the millennium. And they're raised up, and the Bible says they're judged according to their works. And so that's where the Scripture talks about being separated as goat, uh, sheep from the goats. And so that's, that's the, the last uh, Revelation chapter 21. So uh, in a, if you think about it this way, think of John the Baptist. Well, John was the forerunner. And then those that were predestinated to John's message would then received John's ministry without one sign or wonder. John performed no miracles, not one, just forceful preaching. But his message was, is, I'm not the guy. I'm only forerunning him. He's coming soon. <clears throat> so then when Jesus came, the Bible says that there were many that still followed John. They just had a hard time with the idea of Jesus. And then finally, Jesus, John kept saying, I've got a decrease. Follow him, follow him. And they were still following. The Bible says even when John was in prison, it says that the apostles of John would come, or the disciples of John would come to visit John. And then John said to his disciples, go ask Jesus if he's the one or should we seek another? So here we are in a brand new dispensation, and yet we still had those following John. Well, God had then John beheaded. And so then obviously those people that were under John's ministry would then wake up and say, wait a minute. He was pointing us to Jesus. So then they would follow Jesus. But it didn't stop with Jesus, did it? 
Then, then uh, Peter had the keys to the kingdom. Peter would open both the keys to the Gentile door and to the Jewish door. He had the keys of the kingdom. So Jesus said of my disciples, he said, receive them and you receive me. Reject them and you've rejected me. And so the dispensation moved on and now Peter was the man of the hour along with the disciples. But it didn't stop there. Then the apostle Paul comes. Even though we've had 120 in the upper room, 3,000 added to the church the next day, now in Acts 9, the apostle Paul comes. And the apostle Paul said, if I or an angel preach any other gospel than what I have preached, let him be a curse. Now, Peter, who had a hard time with Paul, still, because he had the new birth, would accept and receive what Paul was saying. How many can understand that? So this kept walking the light as it was revealed. And so that's as simple as it gets. The elect recognize the word for their day. The foolish virgin is predestinated also, but she doesn't receive the message of the hour, and as a result, doesn't receive a birth. But she's still saved. She dies a martyr's death. Then she goes to the great tribulation and comes up at the end of the millennium. She, the Bible says the rest of the dead live not for a thousand years. And so then you'll have those, then we'll come up at the end of the millennium, and then we'll then at that time step into eternal life. And so, but the bride, in a sense, what I really want you to get out of what Brother Lonnie said is, is not, oh my, am I bride, am I not? It's, it's much more simple than that. If Brother Lonnie never preached that, a baby is going to automatically go for the breast. A lamb is going to automatically eat the grass because they're, they're, they're wired to do that. God gave them that capacity to, to do that. That bird is going to leave the nest and it's going to fly. And the elect of God are going to receive the word for their day. So we're merely simply, as ministers, telling you what, in a sense, you've already experienced. But, what, but what the, the way God arranged his word, though, is, is that he never wants you to plateau spiritually. He's constantly revealing more and more of himself. And so he doesn't, if, you, if you don't continue to love him and seek him and, and draw toward his word, then what happens is, is the Brother Bram said, you'll take it on an organized life, an organized life. And you don't want to stop at an organized religion. You want to continue to move on. God has created the scenario where he is not static. He is, he is forever moving, and he wants us to follow him. And that, uh, that pursuit, that pursuit of him is what makes the journey both wonderful and real and causes us to grow. It's that constant pursuit. Paul, who had the keys, who, op- who now was the apostle to the Gentiles, confessed, he's got a hold of me, but I have not fully apprehended him. But the measure that Paul needed, wherever Paul was supposed to be, when he died, he says... I fought a good fight. I finished my course. And there's a crown waiting for me. And so yet Paul's confession was, is, he's got a hold of me, but why is it that I keep seeming to want to pursue and gain more of him? That will never leave you, never leave you. That will be a part of your life until the day you die because God, God unveils himself while we are in the pursuit, while we're in the pursuit. Let's stand to our feet.